conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and I am joined today by Merjani Rawls to talk all about Poltergeist. Merjani, thank you for recommending this and joining me to discuss it. Hey everyone, welcome back again to Spooky Season. Yeah, I, it was a suggestion, but it was more me yelling at Deanna for not seeing another classic horror film. You know, I've had a lot of Stephen King movies to watch, so all other horror movies have been pushed to the side. Yeah, understandable. There, there's a lot of Stephen King films. I just watched one this morning that, well, I mean, <laughs> you, you, that's yeah, an hour didn't. and a half I'll never get back. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the discussion for Chet Cemetery, but Poltergeist, however... A much, much better film than The Mangler Reborn, and I think this was one of those ones that I had always heard about, and I had probably seen bits and pieces of it, but I never sat down to watch it all the way through. Yeah, I the first time I saw it, I was really, really young, and uh, the scene that we talked about last night, uh, the one where that happens in the bathroom, that really freaked me out. I probably shouldn't have watched it when I was like eight, <laughs> but it's been one of, I mean, it's regarded as one of the classics. It's one of the ones that I love the most. I don't think it's particularly scary, but it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, it really is a fun movie. And to quickly run down the cast, you have Craig T. Nelson as the father, Steve. His wife, Diane, is played by Joe Beth Williams. And then you have the kids, Dana, Robbie, and Carol Ann, played by Dominique Dunn, Oliver Robbins, and Heather O'Rourke, respectively. And you kind of have some other characters who come in and out. Dr. Lesh, played by Beatrice Strait. I think one of the more memorable characters is Tangina, played by Zelda Rubinstein, because her voice is just so instantly recognizable. And then <laughs> the scene you mentioned involves Marty, who is played by Martin Casella, and you have Ryan, who is played by Richard Lawson. You have like the neighbors and Steve's friends who appear throughout the movie too, but I don't think any of those characters are super critical to the story as a whole. So with this main cast, I honestly wasn't super familiar with anyone other than Craig T. Nelson. And I think that's simply because he's just been in so many things over the years. Yeah, well, I knew of, you know, Joe Beth Williams, because like, I I've seen Poltergeist and she's in the sequel. And then she was in Frasier for a bit. And then uh, Dexter. And, and Private oh, Practice. she was in Dexter? Yeah. Okay. Also, of course, Heather O'Rourke, because she's Carol Ann. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but like there's some like tragic stuff that happened with her. Yeah, I mean, I knew of three of the cast and then Dana because it, something else happened too. But like they casted the family well, like they're they're yeah. uh, like a relatable family, like uh, regular like California suburbia like happy-go-lucky family too which you know their <laughs> mom and dad smoking you know smoking weed to kind of like take the edge off it seemed like the kind of fun yeah it, it's they're definitely relatable yeah i was trying to figure out if it was weed or if it was actual tobacco that they were rolling because when you see the 
bird die at the beginning, you see the mom is about to try and flush it, which I don't think really works, but okay. <laughs> and then Carol Ann walks in as she's holding it over the toilet and they decide to put it in one of the tobacco boxes. And I was like, okay, you know, give the bird a little burial. And Carol Ann says, you know, the whole verse that ends up in a Metallica song. So it was just one of those things where you kind of start off and you're like, oh, there's a dead animal. This isn't going to go well. Yeah, I like how the movie kind of hints at things slowly going wrong. Like there's like the bird dying, like that drinking glass of milk, it breaks. And then yeah. like things start to move and silverware bends. Like The chairs in the kitchen. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, something is off here. And it's not because, you know, people are playing pranks or playing tricks on their parents or their kids. Like there's, there are ghosts around it's a slow burn for the story of why these things are happening and i like that because this movie was almost two hours long but it never really felt like it was that long sometimes you'll watch horror movies and even when they're like an hour and a half for instance they feel much longer than that but this one because they strategically you know gave you bits and pieces and then he goes and steve goes and contacts Dr. Lesh and you have people coming into the house then and they are also experiencing these things, you are under the impression that, okay, you know, maybe at first we thought these things were only happening to this family while they were present. But as soon as stuff starts happening while other people are present, you get more of a full picture. Yeah, I like how they unraveled the like they went to uh, Dr. Lesh, Ryan and Marty. And then, you know, Steve is having like that conversation with his boss, uh -huh. uh, the sleazy <laughs> Mr. Teague. And then he's like, you know, uh, the town that they live in, it was built where like a cemetery is located. But no, like we moved the bodies and everything like the we moved everything over there. And then he goes about like building another project and you and then you're like oh like they're living where a cemetery was built of course why you know everything is going wrong but of course at the end you know at the end of the movie you find out that it is like way worse than that yeah and the thing is too you know it feels isolated because all of these events are happening at their house and it's hard to not wonder whether that's because of who Steve works for. Maybe he was simply the first target, but by the end of it, you see it impacting the entire neighborhood. Yeah, I wondered that when I got older and watched this movie. I'm like, this is happening to one house, but these graves like are all over the neighborhood. So are there neighbors experiencing any phenomenon? Like it does like at the end of the movie, like what happens in a you know, a house swallowing itself. There's no way that nobody saw that. Like, it just can't be, like, one family and then, like, all of a sudden, oh, a house is gone. And, like, all these lights and flashes and things are happening. Uh, grave sites are popping up. Yeah. Like, nobody saw that. But it, it had to be. You know what I mean? Like, and I think what makes the movie better, and I call it Spiel Spielbergian because there's still... There was a dispute on who actually like 
directed the film. It was like, uh, is it Tobe Hooper or is it Steven Spielberg? Because he couldn't, Spielberg couldn't direct uh, any other film while he was doing E.T. So, but it feels good because it's confined to this one family. And, you know, there's this thing that's happening to this little girl, this innocent girl who, you know, like these ghosts are trying to contact and like a family... I guess, coming together and trying to bring her, you know, bring her back. Right. And I think the thing with him working for the company, it gives you this reason for why they're the first to experience it. And you do get that scene where Steve and Diane go over to their neighbor Ben's house and they're trying so hard to ask him questions (laughs) seriously and they just cannot make it happen at all. And it's a very funny moment in the movie, but that lets you know, hey, this is only happening to us right now. Yeah, like I'm, I was trying to think of like how did cable and, and like satellites and antennas work? Because if you're living near like your neighbor, you're trying to watch football and they could just change the channel. <laughs> and it's like I think it was because they had the same exact TV set and the same remote. So their TVs were placed too close together to where one would try to change the channel in their house and it would actually change the channel on the other TV and it wasn't necessarily a cable satellite thing. Yeah, okay. Uh so they already had a hostile relationship there. Yeah. And then like the scene that you pointed to is like, hey, have you guys been experiencing some phenomenon? And they probably think that like Steven and Diane are just wackadoodles. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? We haven't experienced anything. Yeah. And even when they go over and knock on the door, he instantly thinks it's about the TV. And I think that's just a funny setup for that sort of relationship because then we see Ben and his wife come over when everything's getting out of hand and the wife doesn't want Ben to help, but Diane wants Ben's help all of a sudden now. And it's like the two ladies are literally pulling on him. (laughs) And it just goes to show that with this family in particular, it's like, yes, they're your sort of typical suburban family and they kind of have relationships with their neighbors, but not entirely. It's not like they're going and hanging out with their neighbors all the time. And I thought that was a very accurate depiction of what living in a suburban area is like. Yeah. And then their kids kind of fit like the character, like archetypes. Like Dana just wants to go hang out with her boyfriend. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's just a typical like teenage girl who just wants to hang out with her friends. Robbie's a scaredy cat. But like, okay, like, so like looking back in like his room, if you're a kid, if you're like, I'm guessing like Robbie's nine years old, that clown and that tree, that's scary as hell, man. Yeah, that clown needed to go. Yeah, I don't know why they had that clown just sitting in the corner like that. Staring at him Like, how do you sleep? Yeah, like, (laughs) it's like, ah. Like their parents were like, hey, like, let's just sit this creepy slinky clown right in the corner and then the big tree. And, you know, Carol Ann is just like, you know, just a bright, uh, curious, uh, you know, curious kid. Like everybody kind of like fits neatly. I will say Robbie had a very cool half of the room, though. He did. 
I liked picking out all of the Star Wars stuff because, you know, this came out in 82. So Star Wars coming out five years beforehand, it was also insanely accurate for the decor and what these kids would be into at the time. This movie is funny because, like, it's definitely a snapshot of the time, as you said so. But, like, when I rewatch it, for some reason, it doesn't feel dated to me. No. Like, it feels like... And I know that, like, the remake tries to, like, it, it kind of went, like, another <laughs> route with this. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't... But, like, it feels like I could put this movie on now and, like, almost 34, you know, 40 years later, like... Oh wow, this feel this still feels modern. I mean, some of the special effects are dated. Right. But they're still cool to see, you know? They're dated, but they didn't look absolutely horrendous, which I no, think no. works. And you know, when Diane is taken and she's like on the wall and then she's on the ceiling, that kind of stuff, the practical effects looked pretty great. And you know that with certain horror movies, there's a lot of time effort and care put into things like gore effects and practical effects. It was the same with Star Wars. The reason Star Wars aged so well is because of them using more practical effects than not. And while it's obvious that not everything in this is a practical effect, I think they have a very nice balance to where you don't watch this and look at it and be like, oh, that looks absolutely horrendous. It's like, no, this was a high-quality horror movie for the time period. I mean, if anybody knows me about horror, that I'm a big uh, proponent of practical effects. I am not a big CGI person. If you could do it practical, I feel like it comes off better. I understand CGI is more time-effective from like a production standpoint. Especially now. Yeah, but if, if you look at like The Thing, right? The 1980s, the thing like that body horror is horrifying. Like, uh, but if you look at the like the not the remake, but it's a prequel like done in 2000, like it's over CGI. It looks goofy in some points here. Like I would say like one of my favorite scenes in horror is at the end and the elongating hallway. Yes, that was just so well done. I'm like holy sh like things like that i'm like okay like that that's kind of terrifying i really like how they handled the effects in this too and it helps bolster the story because you don't want this story to fall flat due to bad effects and even when you know the spirits are kind of coming out of the tv and stuff i think it works well enough because it's still kind of like this staticky image going across your screen. I will say, though, in case there's anyone else who has not watched this, expect a ton of flashing lights in this. Yes. Uh, there's that scene where, like, the spirit comes down the hallway when uh, they're recording the phenomenon. Uh -huh. That's super bright. I think when they go into... Remember they go into the room after they take care of land and everything is floating? Uh-huh. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, there there are a lot of flashing lights in this movie, especially uh, the third act. Right. It's a whole like techno, <laughs> everything just flashing like out of windows and stuff like that. But it didn't feel overdone either. Yeah. It felt like it was just the right amount for everything that was going on because you have flickering lights every now and then at the beginning and it 
increases as the story goes on and things get more and more intense. And then you hit that moment where everything is just chaotic. You have the coffins popping out of the ground and all of those things that made this movie look so good because obviously you have a lot of effects in this. And I think some of the ones that maybe didn't age quite as well were like when the tree busts into the house and takes Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. But it still didn't look horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That one was, I was like, now I watch that. I'm like, all right, that's, you know, if I were seeing this in the eighties, that would be like, Oh my God. Like, you know what I mean? Like a tree's really, you know, getting a, a kid. But, um, I mean the one with, I guess for me is like the spirits coming out, of the TV for Caroline. Uh, I'm like, all right, well, it looks kind of misty. Uh, that didn't really age well, but like the initial heard, like talking to the TV and the static, that's an all time classic scene. Yeah. Cause you're like, yeah. Cause you're like, because you, you think like this has been done in movies. Like they're like, I would say like a movie, like white noise where like they, you know, staticky and then like this like whole paranormal thing where kind of would say like you know spirits communicate through all that stuff yeah overall i think that this movie took a very specific kind of ghost story and ran with it they weren't going to be like oh well we'll kind of do this type of ghost story and this type of horror story and mash them all together because I think some horror movies get into trouble when they try to do too much. And this is actually a very simple story. You know, like we said, they built the houses where there used to be a cemetery. And even though they quote unquote moved the cemetery, you see Steve enraged at his boss at the end because he's like, you just moved the headstones. You didn't move the bodies. And that explains so much of what is happening. And because Steve works for him, it explains why he was targeted. And then they have had enough to the point where they just bust up the entire neighborhood. Because if I'm not mistaken, he said it was something like 300 acres the boss did. Yeah. Yeah. You son of a bitch. You moved the... <laughs> You just move the headstones. Yeah. When I saw like the skeletons coming out of the ground and then I found out that they were using real skeletons. I'm like, ah, oh, man, like that. We'll talk about it like later, but like because there's a supposedly a curse over this, uh, this series. But I mean, that was really creepily done. Uh, there's a part in the second act where Dr. Lesh and Diane are talking uh, about like family and you know, Diane's talk about her kids and you really find out like, while this is a ghost story, I don't really particularly like think that this movie's a horror movie, even though it's, but while this is a ghost story, it's also a family story. It's also like people like, you know, connecting and like, you know, I know that like Steve, Steven Spielberg produced it, but it also has, it makes sense that he was doing E.T., at the same time as this because it feels like it has that et quality to it like you know like kids or the town coming together to fight this you know to either save or 
fight this one thing. Like, you know, the parapsychologists are coming together because they, they it seems like they really care about the family and wants to help them. And uh, Tangina mm-hmm. as well. This house is clear. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the tension between Dr. Lesh and Tangina, though, because Dr. Lesh had told Diane one thing to do and told her to tell Carol Ann not to go to the light. And then you have Tangina coming in and telling her to do the exact opposite. So there's this tension and you can tell that Diane is having this inner struggle because she's like, okay, well, Dr. Lesh is sort of a friend now at this point, you know, she has spent so much time at the house with this family. And then Tangina just comes in and shakes everything up. And it's like, okay, who do I believe this person who's been here for, you know, what seems like weeks, because Dana leaves and goes to her friend or her boyfriend's house or whatever. And then they send... Yeah, Dana says, I'm out of here. What's this? Yeah. And then it's a day or two later or something, they send Robbie off. I love how they just put him in a cab with the dog. And they're just like, ah, he'll get there. I was like, this is so 80s. Nobody would do that these days. Yeah, I'm like, and and this is the 80s. I'm like, oh, wow, you could just really do that? You could just like send your kid and the dog to to a place and the taxi driver's like okay where to yeah and it's like the dog ends up in the front seat next to the taxi driver because it doesn't they don't even have the glass separator anymore or at that point and it's just so funny and i think they use the dog really well too actually because you hear the dog barking at stuff so the dog knows something is going on and when they all are back at the house and they're getting ready to leave for that final time. The dog is the first one in the car. And I just love that so much. Yeah. That dog is like, listen, man, like I can sense things that you guys can't. I can hear things that you guys can't. I knew this place was wrong. Should have listened to me. I am out of here. I like, I going back to what you said about Dr. Lesh and Tangina. Like, I like that the movie had that dynamic of science versus I guess spiritual faith kind of like going at each other. Cause like, obviously there's like the scientific try to like the scientific explanation as to what's occurring. And then Tangina comes in and is like, no, like there's this dark presence called the beast who's trying to uh, prevent like all these spirits to like cross over. And one, one point that we like talked about, I'm like, wouldn't it just be nice for them to like let Carol Ann just to like lead the spirits into the light and just be like, all right, I'd see you guys. And then they would stop messing with them. Yeah. It's one of those things where I was like, but why are they staying in the house? You know, you would think that they would just go and let the experts handle it. But at the same time, you have Carol Ann who is sort of stuck in this limbo and, the parents aren't going to leave her behind. They'll send the other kids away, no problem. <laughs> but you They're like, "Ah, we listen, like we love you guys. Like we love you kids, but leave. we we got to get Carol Ann back." <laughs> well, I get it because they they probably just don't want to lose other kids. Like Robbie was kind of engulfed by a tree. You know what I mean? <laughs> like and then the the clown, he was almost suffocated by a toy clown. So it's like, "All right, well, you know, we're already two strikes in. We don't want to get a third strike. So, like, let's send these other kids away and try to get the our youngest kid back. Yeah, exactly. And it's probably more of a distraction to have at least Robbie there because more things seem to happen to him. And I don't know 
if it's because him and Carol Ann share the bedroom, which at first I thought the two girls shared a room, but because Dana's like twice their age, pretty much, I was like, okay, well, I guess it makes sense that the boy and the girl share a room because they're closer in age, but he is the one who gets attacked by the tree. He gets attacked by the clown. He is constantly yelling about something, it seems. And so they're just like, okay, you go. And it seems like nothing ever really happens to Dana, which is odd. Yeah, Dana's just on the phone talking to boys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she just wants to, like, like do teenager stuff. It feels like the spirits were really picking on Robbie. I'm like, why? Uh, and then they were like, aha, we really wanted Carol Ann. <laughs> See ya. Like, yeah, I feel bad. Like, older Robbie is probably, like, traumatized. He's probably, you know, talking to somebody about this, you know, like, in movie world. It's it's weird. Like, it, I thought that, too. I'm like, Dad, do they really want Robbie? No, 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 no. They want Carol Ann. Yeah, because she's the inquisitive one. She's willing to talk to the TV and get to know whoever is in there, which obviously it's the people from the cemetery, but I kind of would have loved it a little more if we had at least one actual ghost-like character, because it seems like every time we sort of saw these ghosts, they didn't appear as people. Here, Okay, so here's the thing about that, and we also talked about this off the pod Poltergeist to the other side tries to explain that more. Right. Like it tries to give backstory because there's this priest named uh, Henry Kane. Uh, like he he had this cult and he led people down like this like chasm and said like the world was about to end and they ended up all dying. And then that's why. I mean, I guess that's another reason why it, it completely redcons what happens here, because it just seems like with the first movie, it was just because this family was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh-huh. They were at the in lieu of a sleazy uh, real estate owner who's like, oh, listen, we move the bodies. OK, it's fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. Oh, by the way, we're going to build more stuff. And Steven, you're going to be in charge of it. You're going to be filthy rich. And Steven is is basically so delirious at this point. He's just like, okay, fine. All right, great. Cool, cool, cool. My man has not showered in about two or three days. His shirt is just like filthy and wet. He's like, all right, cool, cool. Great, great. Uh, If you look at Poltergeist as a standalone film, it's just one phenomenon that happens to a family until they like leave. And I like that the you know the movie seems like it's a be- it, when it ends at the second act when they get Caroline you know Caroline back it was like oh the movie's over everybody's back to normal like things are fine and then boom you get hit with the third act it's like it is not over not by a long shot <laughs> <laughs> are there any other scenes in the movie that are a particular favorite of yours there's a lot to enjoy about this i thought this was really good and like i said maybe just having that other side element to it for even you know five or ten minutes throughout the whole thing would have helped explain a little more because it does take until you sort of hit that 
oh, we just moved the cemetery scene for it to start really clicking. And then you're kind of like, oh, okay, we see what's happening now. And, you know, maybe someone else figured it out sooner than I did. But I feel like just that little added element would have made this an even better movie than it already was. I would say the chicken scene. Yes. The chicken scene with the maggots. That that's a uh, good one for me. And then at the very end, when they check into the Holiday Inn, and then Stephen rolls out, rolls the television out into <laughs> the hallway. <laughs> that is such a great way to kind of have things come full circle. They like, "Fuck this! Like we're not having this again." Yeah, uh, I, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty much for me. Like like I said, like. This is a movie that I could always watch and always enjoy. It's one of the classic movies to me. Like uh, like The Exorcist. Like, oddly enough, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You're like, Tobe Hooper made Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then made a family, like, paranormal movie after that? Like, it's crazy. He has quite an interesting filmography, for sure. Especially with the wide range of horror movies that he's done. But you also had me watch Cursed Films, which is a series that is on Shudder. It's five episodes. It covers The Exorcist, The Omen, Poltergeist, The Crow, and the Twilight Zone movie. So it's only five episodes. And I only watched this one because I haven't seen those other movies in full to want to watch those and have those spoiled. And this did go into the second and third movies, which... It's fine because I may or may not get to those sometime soon. We'll see. Yeah, you may you may wanna you may wanna skip the third one. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I've heard because when I was watching the episode, you know, the director of the third one was like, Heather O'Rourke passed away while we were filming this, and nobody wanted to finish the movie, but the studio made us finish the movie. And I heard that the original ending is actually out there now. Someone found it in the masters and. It doesn't have any audio, though. The audio was lost. So that's very interesting. But there are so many things that happened throughout the filming of the three movies that, yes, most of it's coincidence, but it doesn't make it any less creepy. Because when I was looking up the cast, I noticed I was, you know, clicking on some of the people on IMDb to see what else they had been in. And I was like, oh, at least two of these people are dead from the original movie. And they died very young. Dominique Dunn was 22 when she died, and it was the year this movie came out. And then, like I said, Heather O'Rourke passed away during the third movie, which was six years later in 1988, I believe. So she was only 12 when she passed away. And when you start digging into these things, you're like, these coincidences are so crazy. But Dominique Dunn's death was such a tragedy that had nothing to do with the movie, you can't really blame something like that on the movie. It's like, she clearly had this jealous, abusive boyfriend who didn't want her to leave him. Like, that's a very real thing that people go through. And it just happened to her months after the movie came out. When I watched it, because I'd heard a whole bunch of stuff, like, it's like, you know, uh, Poltergeist is cursed. And then like when I was younger, like it was like, oh, Heather O'Rourke died. It was like a mysterious death. And then uh, Will Sampson died. Uh, he's the he's the shaman in the second one. Yeah. It, and then like Julian Beck died too. He plays Kane in Poltergeist too. So like you have like all these deaths 
and it's like, oh, is this really cursed? And then they talk about like the skeletons because they use real skeletons in the movie. But I don't think that people know, like in most horror movies, they use real skeletons. Like those aren't like it's just cheaper to use real skeletons instead of like trying to make some on set. So like, ah, man. And they were like, we literally just buy them from like the same place that biology classes get them from it's not something that is like creepy and you know maybe it's weird that they sell real skeletons but it's like okay what are you going to do with them otherwise if you actually actually need skeletons for scientific reasons yeah i mean the dominic dunn death is is tragic yeah you know what i mean because she died by the the hands of her boyfriend i think when i was when I was younger and I was trying and I was like understanding like recasting and things like that. I'm like, oh, I, she's not in the second one. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that's why she's not in the second one. Yeah. And I think with, you know, watching cursed films and of course, like they push back on it, it's like this movie's not cursed. Like, you know what I mean? Especially with Dominic Dunn. She was an unfortunate victim of, you know, abuse. And then right. like with. You know, Heather O'Rourke, I mean, I remember seeing Poltergeist 3, and I know that she's in it somewhat, but what they do in the film, they, like, make some weird stunt double for her. <laughs> like, some, like they put a smaller child, and then they put it in makeup to kind of look like a ghoulish version of Heather O'Rourke, and I was like, ah, this is kind of in bad taste. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, and I think that's why they didn't ultimately want to finish that movie, because they mentioned in the Cursed Films episode that she had sort of these chipmunk cheeks because of whatever was going on with her medically. So there was a medical reason for why she looked so different throughout the course of the movies, you know, between the first and the third one. Not only was she six years older and had grown up a little, it was something medically that was wrong with her that caused her to look the way she did in the third movie and the fact that it was a condition that was misdiagnosed it's like that's another thing where it just happens sometimes and it is immensely unfortunate yeah like you know uh julian beck like he passed away from stomach cancer uh like in 1985 uh-huh i think will sampson died of like a chronic a degenerative condition right after the movie in 1987 right so i understand why people you know think you know thought like oh my god like all these actors and actresses are dying around this production you know what i mean like and i think with horror movies we really want to believe a mystique around these movies that aren't necessarily there because it heightens i guess the fear of the film but I think, you know, like looking back and being older, these were just unfortunate health things. You know what I mean? Like and 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 in uh, Dominique's case, like it's fortunate, like, you know, spousal abuse. But like, I don't think there was. And I know they like mentioned things like happening on set, like things falling and exploding. And, you know, I there's other movies like that, like. You know, I think it has to do with how many practical effects they were using in the kind of movie they were making. Yeah. You got to think like this is the 80s. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like not everything like it's not. And if you watch the Twilight Zone episode, you could see where 
things really tragically do not go according to plan and people overindulge. But um, yeah, kind of going back to what you said, like it's, you know, it's the time period, you know, there wasn't enough know-how back then. So like with practical effects, things are going to go wrong, unfortunately. And there weren't nearly as many safety precautions, I would imagine, in the 80s as there are today. And even today, accidents still happen on set. Yes. Uh, I mean, like going back to Curse Films, The Crow, you know, that like, you know, uh, Brandon Lee getting shot, unfortunately, dead on, you know, dead on set because of a uh, messed up uh, blank. You know what I mean? That happened in the 90s. So, like, unfortunately, things do happen. Yeah, and it's hard to chuck that all up to, oh, it's because of this movie they did. And that, like they mentioned in Curse Films, I believe it was one of the effects guys. He was like, these deaths, especially Dominique's, had nothing to do with the movie at all. And he's like, it's such a disservice to treat it that way when these were true tragedies that had nothing to do with anything that went on on set yeah like when i was yeah like i said like when i was younger it's just like oh wow like there's there's a curse on the movies like oh my god but like when you look back at this and you look at everything in totality it's like nah man like there's some real just tragic stuff that happened to these people like it wasn't because you know they were making a film about like a family like living on an ancient burial ground, but it didn't actually happen. Like it's not like, you know, they did that and like spirits were angry and they're like, I'm going to punish you one by one. It's just it's just things just happen, you know, like. Yeah, it's one of those things where it is kind of crazy how many people these things happen to over the course of making the three movies, but ultimately had nothing to do with any of them. Yeah, four or five people. Four or five people is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, ah, oh, wow, that's that's a lot of people in one production, but yeah. Yeah, it really is, but I think some people take it a little too far when they're like, oh my goodness, this is cursed. And obviously that's why they ultimately did the cursed film series, because they wanted to shine a brighter light on these things that happen during these productions. And I really recommend checking that series out if you've seen all five movies. Like I said, I'm going to watch them one at a time as I get to those movies because I, I'm i pretty sure all of them, except for maybe The Crow, were on my list to watch already. So I'll just add that one to the mix as well. But Mirjani, thank you so much for virtually yelling at me to watch Poltergeist <laughs> and for doing this episode a little last minute. I know I was texting you yesterday. I was like, what should I watch? Let's do an episode. You know, got to gotta get one in. And it was really fun to experience this and then watch the Cursed Films episode and get sort of the full picture as to how some of these things came to life because they do give you a little behind the scenes look as to how they did some of the effects and stuff during that episode too. Yeah. Just real quick, I'm going to suggest everybody watch the twilight zone one please watch that one when i uh and i'm sure you're gonna see this because stephen king's involved uh, uh that film when i watched it younger and i didn't understand there was there's three stories and there's one story that just like this doesn't feel complete there's a reason why there's a very tragic reason why that story did not get finished so like 
Yeah, I'm just putting it out there that everybody watched that one. Yeah, and again, thank you for coming on to talk about this. It's been fun as always. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.